on it. So I want to talk today about grace. Uh, we probably hear these words similarly put together, grace and mercy. There's a lot of relationship between the two words. I'm not talking about mercy today. Uh, mercy has more to do with kindness and compassion. And grace certainly includes kindness and compassion but it carries a little bit deeper meaning, this idea that there's going to be a, a gift or a favor bestowed on someone. Many of you know my favorite uh, dictionaries, the original author of Noah Webster, he had a dictionary in 1828, I highly suggest it. It was kind of hard because he has 20 different definitions for grace because it's used in so many different ways, especially back then. Uh, but I think number two was the free, unmerited love and favor of God the spring and source of all benefits man receives from him. I bet you won't find that in the 2020 edition of Webster's Dictionary. But Noah Webster was a man who knew the Lord and knew what the free pardon of sin meant, understood grace. But before we can really talk about grace, we have to understand something. We have to understand who we are. We have to understand who we are. So let me spend a few minutes on that. This is one of the challenging parts about our culture today is that um, we have seen in the um, 80s into the early 90s, I guess, the self-esteem movement and everyone gets a trophy and everyone's right in their own way. And you can have your own individual truth that even though it contradicts everything we know about um, science and law is still valid for you. We give everyone a pat on the back and tell them how wonderful they are. Nothing negative about anybody. Some of y'all need to shake your heads a little bit more and go like this way. Yes, it's happening. That's not good. And here's the problem with that. We're not all wonderful. In fact, none of us are wonderful. Now, I just spent last Sunday talking about three great men. And they were good compared to other men. But they were not good in the sense that, of perfect. Does that make sense? Our culture doesn't like to talk about this. We don't like to think about this. And instead, we always paint everyone to be more than really what they are. We ignore the negative aspects of life. But let me set a few things straight here. We are born into sin. Every single person born in sin. Psalms 51 and 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. It's not the sexual act that we're talking about is sin. It's this idea that the sinful nature is passed on from male bloodline to male bloodline. And the moment that we are created, we are sinful people. We are born sinners. We come into this world sinners. And that means that we're doing something wrong. We're, we are missing the mark. We are not doing what God wants us to do. We're born that way. Born with a sickness, born with an illness. And what makes it worse is we get worse. There comes a point in time we begin to realize the difference between right and wrong, and we choose the wrong path repeatedly, not just once, but over and over again. So we are born into sin, born into bondage, born separated from God. And as we continue in our lives and get older, we continue to do more things that are wrong and not of God. To fully understand grace, we must also understand, as I mentioned, that we are guilty of breaking God's law. Again, this goes back to the concept. We don't like to talk about these things today in our culture 
We like to say that there is no law, there is no rule. Everyone does what's right in their own mind, and as long as it's right in your own mind, then you're good to go. But the reality is God has told us in very specific instructions what we are to do and some things that we are not to do. And when we do not do those things, we are guilty of breaking the law that he has laid down for us to follow. It's very easy to think about the thou shall nots that come from the Ten Commandments. But we often pass on the thou shall laws, which is thou shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. I challenge anyone to try and do that for more than a few hours. And you'll find out that you broke the law because you can't do it. So we need to understand that we are not only born into sin, that we continue to sin, that we break God's law all the time. And as a result of this, we are the very enemies of God. I have said this repeatedly. (coughs) Excuse me. We become enemies of God. Romans 5, 6 says, uh, for the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God. We are God's enemies, born into sin, continuing to sin and break his law. And that sets us at odds with a perfect God and we become his enemies. And because of all this, we deserve death. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin, the thing that results from our sin, is death. Now you may not think, well, I'm not that bad a person. Surely it doesn't worth death. Oh, but you see, God is that good. God is so good and so pure and so perfect and sin is so far away from what he is that the only righteous thing that he can do is to remove us from his presence, to have death, to have punishment. And if you don't believe that, then go ahead and compile all the things that you've done over your life and tell me what you actually deserve. And if that doesn't do it for you, just go ahead and catalog all the things that you've thought over your life. I guarantee that gets every one of us. We can deserve death even just by one sin, let alone the sins we've completed in our lives, let alone the things that we have thought. We are unrighteous. I mean, it's not right. And Romans 3.10 says that no one is righteous. No, not one. And we are unable to justify ourselves. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of law, no human will be justified in his sight. And I want to spend just a minute on this one. Many, many quote-unquote religions today will give you numerous ways that you can justify yourself. They'll tell you, well, if you're a member of this church, then God will accept you and you will receive a reward. It doesn't work like that. They will tell you that if you are baptized or sprinkled as an infant, that somehow that is what seals you and God will see that and reward you. It doesn't work that way. Baptism is the outward symbol of what has changed internally within us. It has no saving merit to it. It is not able to save us. 
Many, many, many will say who have some kind of sprinkling of loose religion, well, I hope I did enough good in my life to outweigh the bad. And we know we've all heard this one. It is not possible. There is not enough good you can do to outweigh the bad. So that idea is, is impossible. But it also is false on its face, again, because just doing one sinful act is enough to separate us from God. And somehow thinking that we do something good enough to overcome that, well, it just doesn't work that way. And the Bible clearly says it. For by the works of law, no human will be justified in his sight. Let me summarize this. We are born into sin from the very beginning. We continue to sin. We continue to break God's law, both the things he said we shouldn't do, and we fail to do the things that we should do. We have evil thoughts. We are the enemies of God. And because of all this, we deserve death. And there's nothing that we can physically, spiritually, or emotionally do to overcome this. Why wouldn't that be a horrible story if I walked away right now? But for those who've been around for a few minutes, you know where I'm going next. Because when we are in our state, when we are separated from God, when because of our sin we are no longer able to fellowship with God, and we are not able to overcome it ourselves, we are in this hopeless state, but this is when grace comes. This is when Jesus Christ comes in and gives us something that we couldn't get, that we couldn't earn, and bridges a gap that we could never, ever cross. See, I can't be good enough to earn my way back to God or into His reward. I can't live perfect enough. But this is where we get grace. So now that we have some idea of who and what we are, something that I will just quickly comment is ignored in many, many, many churches today. This cultural idea that we're all good people has seeped its way into many, many churches. And it's a travesty. Because then we don't really understand grace. We don't understand what Christ did for us. What is grace? Grace is what saves us. Grace is what saves us from our sins, just to make sure we're clear on that. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And there we bring these concepts together, this idea that grace is something that is given to us. It's not something we earned. It's not something we deserved. It's not something that we were promised. No, it is in fact something that was given to us, and it was given to us before we even knew that we needed it and before we even wanted it. Grace is what saves us. Not my grace, but Jesus Christ and His sacrifice that He gave on my behalf. Grace is the essence of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is one about grace. Acts 20 and 24 says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 
See, Paul knew full well when he was commissioned by God, when he was saved uh, one day when he wasn't looking for it, and he was told to go and to be his apostle, to be his, his pastor, to be his ambassador for him. He knew full well that it was by grace because he didn't deserve it. He was on his way to murder Christians. No one deserves to be saved then, do they? Yet by God's grace, he was and was told to go and to share that gospel, the good news. And the good news is that there is grace, that there is forgiveness for the things that we do. It is the very center of the gospel is grace. Grace is victory over sin. Grace is victory over sin. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me just be real clear. If you're trying to earn your way into salvation, if you're trying to earn your way into God's favor, that's the opposite of humility. And this says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, the reality is all of us must come to this realization at some point that we are separated from God, that we need His grace, His forgiveness to give us something that we can't earn and we must humbly go before Him and ask for that and believe that He will give it to us. Christ is the embodiment of grace. If you want to know what grace is, study the work and life of Christ. I'll just quickly add for those who were here last Sunday, if I wasn't clear, if you want to know how to be a man, study Christ. If you want to know how to be grace and how to live in grace and how to give grace, then study what Christ did. If you want to know anything about how to live in this world, then follow after the one who led us by perfect example. And you will see that Jesus Christ not only was grace, but was full of grace. Let me turn to John 1. Pick up with verse 11, John 1, 11. And he came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we see the power to change a life comes from God, not of our own will. And it goes on in verse 14 in summary of the first part of this chapter. It says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. If we want to see grace in action, all we have to do is look to Christ. 
If we want to see truth, then we must look unto the one who is truth and is grace. What a beautiful way to summarize the first half of that chapter of who and what Jesus is. Jesus is grace, full of grace. And as I said, grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. It's a gift because we can't earn it. It's a gift because we don't deserve it. It's a gift because it doesn't cost me anything. Now, I have to confess, sometimes I think this concept has been abused a little too much in some churches as well. And maybe that's why sometimes Baptists have a hard time with the concept of grace. I've heard salvation over and over again explained as like a gift, and it is. But for the sake of trying to reach many, I think sometimes we make it too simple. We fail to explain to people, as I did, why we need grace. And then we present it as this little magical device. Well, don't you want a free gift? Don't you just want to take the gift that Christ has you? And we remove the spirit from it. We remove the conviction. We remove the repentance, both of which are absolutely fundamental to knowing the grace of God. If you do not know your place before God, then you do not appreciate or even desire or understand the gift that he's trying to give you. And if you do not fall flat on your face, I don't mean that physically, I mean that spiritually and emotionally. If you do not come before an almighty father realizing your place, realizing that what you need is his grace, begging for it, putting everything that you've done aside and truly seeking after him, then you cannot truly understand or receive the gift that God wants to give you. Grace is a gift. A gift is different than a loan. When you give a gift... You don't owe anything in return. So it makes it a gift. So think about that for a minute. It's different. We give gifts. The church gives gifts. We do this at Christmas time and a variety of other times throughout the year. We give gifts to each other. If you expect something in return, it's not a gift. So it's not a loan. A gift is free to the recipient. If you were to give me a gift, I don't have to pay for it. Otherwise, that's something entirely different. But here's something really important. A gift costs the giver something. A gift costs the giver something. And I dare say that the greater the cost of the giver, the more precious the gift. A gift is a permanent Transfer of ownership. You don't give somebody a gift and then expect it back. It's theirs. Brothers and sisters, again, just to make sure I'm very clear on some of these fundamental truths that we believe that I believe are scriptural. When Christ gave me the gift of His grace and salvation... He's not going to ask for it back. He gave it to me. He forgave me. He saved me. And no matter how many times I will mess up in the future, that is exactly what grace is. He said, no, I've sacrificed myself on your behalf. I have given it to you. You have received it. You have put your faith in me. 
I will not take it away from you. I will not take it back. And even better than that, it's not mine to hold on to. It is his. It is his gift to me. And no one, nothing can take it away from me, even myself. And we should have confidence in that. A gift is given voluntarily and forfeits something that he possesses. Again, if we think about our practice of giving gifts, we give them voluntarily. They're not a gift. And I give away something that I have, something that costs me. So let's place this in context with Jesus Christ. A gift is different than a loan. God's grace is not a loan. It's a gift. A gift is free to the recipient. I didn't earn my salvation. I couldn't. It also cost Christ something. You know what it cost him? His life. It cost him separation from his Lord and Savior, his Father. That probably wasn't the greatest phrase. It cost him separation from his Father. That's the point I'm trying to make there. We often pass this up. We like to think about what horrible pain that Christ went through. And he most certainly went through egregious and horrible pain. But the part that should break all of our hearts is when he crawls out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time ever, Jesus Christ knew what it was like for God to turn his back and not be there. Why? Because he had my sin that he had to carry. And he did that for me. That cost him greatly. The gift is a gift of permanent ownership and transfer. Again, I can't lose my salvation. It's not mine to hold on to. God will keep it safe. And a gift giver voluntarily gives something. We see several times in the scripture where Christ talks about it is with Joy that he goes to the cross. Why? Because what Christ knew is that the gift, the sacrifice that he was about to make, the grace that he was about to shed would give me the gift to know him. And he counted it for joy that you would be restored. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was that he was rich yet for the for our sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Romans 5 and 8 says God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us. And later on it says while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Understand again, we didn't deserve this. We don't earn this. But God will give us the grace to know him. Give us the grace to have a relationship with him. To save us from our sins by his grace. And reestablish a relationship that has been broken so that we can know him. We didn't earn it. We never can. Well, I've talked a lot about salvation this morning. But what does grace do afterwards? Some of us have been saved for a month, 
Some of us have been saved for years. Some of us decades. Does that mean that once we're saved, grace is done, we're all happy, we got the gift, we're good to go? Oh, no, I don't think so. Grace, after our justification, after our salvation, provides many things. It provides access and fellowship to God. Ephesians 1.6, To the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Because of God's grace, because of his unmerited favor on us, not only am I saved and sealed until the day of redemption, but I now have access to the living God. That means at any moment that I want, I can pray and talk to him, and he will not only hear me, but if I'm listening correctly, will talk to me. That's grace right there. He doesn't have to do that. He does that because he loves us. He does that because he wants a relationship with us. He wants us to know him. And he has given us access to the very throne of God to speak to him. And he is before God on our behalf interceding for us. That's amazing. That's amazing. The son of God is on my behalf interceding, pleading to his father. Of course, the grace of God also disciplines us. Nobody likes that, do they? Titus 2 and 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. See, grace gives us a salvation, but it also trains us, teaches us to renounce things that are ungodly and worldly, to renounce the passions that we shouldn't have, to live a controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's right now when it might be hard to live, when it might be hard to stand for the truth. God has given us grace to do this, and we should stand for Him. We should be disciplined for Him. We should accept that His grace is what's going to correct us and tell us how we should live. God's grace also gives us great spiritual riches. Great or immeasurable spiritual riches. Ephesians 2, 7. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Again, if I've been talking about many of the things that our world believes today, many people somehow think that God's this angry person is up there like throwing down plagues and horrible things upon us. I have no doubt that God enters things in this world and sometimes punishes us. We must also remember that He gives us immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Many of us have gone through a very difficult time the last month or two. We've lost those that we love. We've experienced other loved ones who are going through very traumatic and difficult health issues. We've had trials at school and at work. We've had times of loneliness frustration and anger. 
We've watched the news and cried out, what in the world is going on? But in absolutely all of that, at a moment's notice, we can go to God for grace in these difficult times and understand that he loves us, that he died for us, that he wants us to live a right life, that he wants us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives, and that he will uh, teach us to do that, but also understand that when we fail, which we will and which we do, God's grace will help us get up and to go again. And when you have times in your life when you feel like you're taking two step forwards and one step back and you're barely getting on, God's grace can help you through. And even at times in your life when you feel like you're walking backwards and you're not moving forward at all, God's grace is there to help you in those times if we would only reach out. In fact, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God's grace also gives us comfort and encouragement. Comfort and encouragement. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 16 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. He also tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, I believe, my grace is sufficient for you. Now we could really spend a long time on that one, couldn't we? Paul was going through a lot. And Christ said, my grace is enough. It seems likely that Paul couldn't see very well based on some of the clues we have in the scriptures. It seems likely that that could have been the thorn in his side that he talked about, the the thing that he wanted removed. And Christ's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. We sang a hymn by Franny Crosby this morning, who was blind, who I know wanted to see. God didn't heal her of that. She wrote almost a thousand hymns because his grace is sufficient. I don't know the state that you're currently in. I don't know all of you. Some of you I know very well what I know that you need. You need things that I don't know about. And some of you I don't know well at all. Whatever it is that you think that you need, His grace is enough. Well, Ben, how could you possibly say that? I need money. I need healing. I need this pain to go away. I need this cancer to leave me. I need this job. I need this relationship restored. I need, I need, and I want, and I need, and I want. But listen to what the scripture says, that no matter what it is that you think you need or that you actually want, no matter where you are in life, His grace is sufficient for you. And we are to live into that as hard as it may seem. What could be better than the God who made the world giving you grace? something you don't deserve and you couldn't purchase. You could get all the things in the world that you want and you'll still be empty without His grace. 
Grace gives us strength. It gives us strength. 2 Timothy 2.1 You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. See, Timothy had quite the challenge before him as well. He was young, apparently. Pastoring a church. Struggling. Paul encourages him and says to be strengthened, not in his own self, not on his own knowledge, not in be strengthened by your friends or go seek out the counsel of a parent, but by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Grace is greater than our sins. Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20. Grace is greater than our sins. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Again, I think maybe we have churches that don't preach on this because it's kind of difficult. Because it's easy, and in fact, the early church did this too, to have people say, well, look, the grace of God saved me. I can go live however I want to. And the scripture says, God forbid. At the other side, we have folks who are trying to live a godly life in some way and fail and fail and fail and don't understand that the grace of God is there to pick them up and say, try again, try again, try again. And we begin to get down on ourselves so hard that we don't even see a purpose of her continuing. Maybe you've been at a point like that in your life before too. And so we have these extremes that say, well, yeah, God's grace, but I can do whatever I want to. And the other side that says, I'm such a horrible person, I can never live up to God. What's the point of trying? Why can't I do what I want to do? Why can't I do what I need to do? But God's grace is at both ends of those spectrums, calling you to the middle to say, yes, I'm going to discipline you and lead you in the way that you should go because that is my grace. But at the same token, even though you failed, I will help you continue you follow after me. Now, I've tried to say a lot about grace. It's really hard to pack it all into one little sermon. And I have support for that concept. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God is inexpressible gift. I can't say enough about it. I'll never be able to say enough about it. If the people who wrote the scriptures are just going to say, it's inexpressible, we cannot articulate enough about it, we cannot give enough thanks for it, it is what it is, it stands on its own merit, but thanks be to God for His grace that I can't even begin to describe. It's too wonderful. Have you ever experienced God's grace? Have you experienced God's mercy and unmerited favor on you? See, this happens at some point once, hopefully for everyone. We call that salvation. 
We call that the point when God shows you just how evil you really are. When God demonstrates to you just how separated and how far away that you are. When he calls you unto himself and gives you an opportunity to receive the gift that he died to give you or to reject it and say no. I don't know how many times God offered it to me. I don't. But I know the night that I believed for the first time. I know the night that I finally realized my state before him and I fell to my knees begging for forgiveness. And I know that I received grace that night. I know that I stood up a different person. Not because of my own merit, not because of anything I had done, but because I finally believed in the grace that God died to give me and set me on a new path. Some of you need to find that grace. Some of you need to seek it. If you haven't found it, look for it. If you haven't received that grace, you need to ask for it. For those of us who do know God's grace, for those of us who have had an experience in our lives, we know that God saved us. We know that God shed his grace on us, who gave us the peace that passes all understanding. Then the question for us is, is his grace abundant in our lives now? Are we still trying to earn his favor We can get caught up in that, can't we? We can somehow be saved, having experienced God's grace, and still think we have to live up to something we can't. Or we can give ourselves such a hard time, and what we fail to realize is just how much God loves us. For either case, I'm going to close with this verse. Hebrews 4.16 let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So whether I can call you a brother or a sister because you have received grace and are in need of more, go to God. If you feel unworthy, then go to God. If you want to be a better Christian, then go to God and seek his throne of grace. If you're tired of living the way that you are because you know you shouldn't, then go to God and seek his grace. If you're okay where you're at but want to do better, then go to God's throne and seek his grace. And if you've never met God the first time, it's the same instructions. Go to his throne and seek the grace, the unmerited favor, and do not give up and do not leave until you know that you have received the grace that he died to give you. And when you do, you will be a different person.